So I don't know if, if you all are big fans of the ocean. Okay, all right. Uh, just making sure you're awake. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, my wife is. Um, it used to be back in the day that she would love to live there. And, uh, well, we never got there, which was a hallelujah. A big amen. <laughs> just being honest. And the reason why I mention that is because we're going to be taking a look at a text today in our series, The War Within, uh, in James. We're going to get there in just a minute. And, and I bring that up because, you know, as we've been going through the series, has, has this been helpful? Um, I know it's been helpful for me. Um, maybe not you. I don't know. Maybe you're like, why are we even doing this? Uh, but the, the truth is, is that when we come together, hear God's word, the next step is our part is to apply what God has taught us. And so, so I hope that it's been helpful for you. I hope that, that maybe you're beginning to, to make some shifts in your life, that you're beginning to say, hey, like there are some things that God has brought to light that it's like, as, as Mike was saying, is drilling me, man. Like, and I just want to make this right with the Lord, not, for, not just to do it, but to really have life transformation. And, and Lord willing, that, that's happening. And so last Sunday, we took some time and talked about the idea of the things that we get into that we hate to do. We talked about how um, we do things, and those are above the surface issues, but it comes down to a below the surface where we, the things that we think, and it goes to our very souls, the root of the issues that we have. And we said that we need to take sin and obedience to God seriously. And when we begin to do that, then I believe that those things are the things that will begin transformation, that will begin that process of cleaning our hearts and our lives up. And today, we're, as we look in the book of James, the, the title of the message is Break the Waves. And, and when I asked you just a moment ago about the ocean, the thing about a break in the wave, uh, I love, you know, I love Google when it's right at times, but it says that about a breaking of a wave, it says as the wave moves increasingly into shallow water, the bottom of the wave decreases speed. There comes a point where the top of the wave overtakes it and starts to spill forward. If you've been to the ocean, you see how it goes. So what's happening is the water below is slowing up as what's on top is going. And then it says the wave starts to break. And then, and then it goes on to say, you know, this is a part of surfing as well. But in general, a wave will start to break when it reaches a water depth of 1.3 times its height. So I just thought, you know, we'll just be a little bit nerdy for a few moments. But just to see how, like, how, how the idea of breaking waves, what does that mean for us today? What does that look like when it comes to the war within, the battle with our minds? And we're going to see this here in James. So if you have a Bible, let's turn to James chapter 1. If you're going to use a Bible at the seat, it's page 1013. And we're going to be looking here at James chapter 1. As you're turning there, I wanted to give you just a brief setup of chapter 1. And the writer James is writing to the Jewish Christians here in the book of James who were part of what was called the dis, uh, dispersion. What that was is this was a time when God scattered his people because of their sin. And he promised that he would restore them. He promised that he would restore his nation. And he also talks about having the right perspective when dealing with difficulty. Because as James begins in verse 2, he says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, that when you experience trials, count it all joy. I don't know if you have had times where you didn't count it joy during your trials, during your difficulties. I know I haven't. But this leads us to verse 5. 
because this leads us to dealing with how things play out for us when it comes to the war within. So let's look here at verses five through eight. Beginning in verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so that's some deep stuff right there, just in a few verses. But we want to unpack this together over the next few moments. In your notes, if you want to take a a definition of this idea of being double-minded or double-mindedness, our definition is this, is double-mindedness is having a double soul. In other words, we want two things that can't coexist. And we're going to break this down in just a bit. And all of us in this room have desires that clash. Every single one of us. We have double-mindedness in our lives. But what we can begin to realize today, and I think, again, when we realize it, we begin to say, what are we going to do with it? That you and I, as followers of Christ, cannot marry Jesus and our desires. They can't coexist unless our desires are of the Lord. That's double-mindedness. Also in your notes, double-mindedness is a refusal to make a choice. Because again, it's like the passage is saying, it's like you're in the sea, just being tossed about by the waves, back and forth and back and forth. Double-mindedness is a refusal to make a choice. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, he says, what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more that comes from... uh, Anything more than this comes from evil. So even Jesus himself is saying double-mindedness is not a good thing. And so with James back here in verse 5, James begins by saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody, if you have in your heart and your mind that you're lacking wisdom, and we're going to talk about what that means, but if you lack wisdom, in other words, James is saying, if you really want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. That's what he's saying here. When you, this idea of wisdom, he says, do you want God's view of life in your life? Ask him, God, what's your view of life? What's your view of my life in this world? Ask him. And if you're not sure or you don't understand, you keep asking him. That's what I love about our heavenly father. If you're asking him for things, the things that are of him and his will and his way for your life, he will never turn you away. Isn't that great? That's a heavenly father that we can go to. And and wisdom here is the discipline of applying truth to one's life in light of experiences. By definition for us today, the, the discipline of applying truth to one's life in light of experiences. Have you ever done something and you got through that situation? You're like, I will never do that again. Learn my lesson. Okay, maybe just me. So, but here here it is. What we want to say about wisdom this afternoon is that it is seeing life realistically from God's perspective. It doesn't mean that you can't live life. It doesn't mean that you won't have trials. It doesn't mean that you won't have failures. It doesn't mean that you won't take one step forward, three steps back. What it's saying is saying, God, I want to see life from your point of view. That's wisdom. Or as I used to tell the students, I said, it's having God smarts. Because we can all have knowledge. 
but it's what we do with it that it becomes wisdom. The New Testament writers, even in the New Testament, they saw that wisdom was a supreme gift of the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And so he is the one who can can show us that wisdom and the things of God. And, And a wise Christian, a wise follower of Christ, is one who views life in light of God's revelation. What do I mean by that? God's revelation is his word. We can receive wisdom just from this text today because it is God's word speaking through us. If we want to know God's will for our lives, check out his word. And, we can, and you can go from there because once you figure out the why, then you can figure out the what. Are you with me? This is important for us to understand because when you and I ask for wisdom, he will graciously give it to us. If you look at the Old Testament, when you look at King Solomon, what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. He said, of all things that I could have, of all the things that I want, I want your wisdom, Lord. And not only that, he will give it to you. And he will give it to you. And he will give it to you. He is willing to show you through his wisdom how to handle a situation, how to make decisions, whether they're big, whether they're small, how to get through a difficult problem. He will not tell you to come back at another time. He will never tell you to take a number. What he will tell you is I'll give you wisdom, but also his wisdom may mean that we have to wait. But guess what the Old Testament also says? As we wait on the Lord, we grow stronger, stronger in our faith, stronger in our belief that he will come through. So he says, James begins by saying, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. In verse 6, he goes on to say, and when you ask God, you have to ask him in faith. So here's here's what we're saying. You're either going to believe that God will give you wisdom when you ask, what he has promised that he will do, that God knows best, that God knows best. Remember, we said this, that our faith will live out that truth. We said that faith is not something you believe, it's something you live out as we've been learning in our life groups. It's not this thought process. It's not this thinking thing. It's not just something that we tag on to our identity in Christ. It is what we live out because of what we believe. James says, listen, and when you ask him, don't doubt. When you doubt, your mind is thrown around like what? He said, as if you were in the middle of an ocean. Any of you ever been in a wave pool? Couldn't stand them. Again, I got to go back to my youth days. Let's go to the indoor wave pool. Okay, that's fun. So come on in. We get in there. And then when the jets start to go, and then you hear the bell, and you're like, I got to get out as soon as I can because those waves, and then there's all these other people in there. And it it was just a mess. But that's the description that James is giving us. You're just going to keep going back and forth and back and forth. And it becomes a non-stop in your head. It's not a right brain, left brain thing. It's just, it's going to be smashed back and forth in your mind and going back and forth. And you'll continue to get beat down with the very things that coexist, that can't coexist. But James is saying, listen, don't have divided motives. That's double-mindedness. So where do you need God's wisdom? Where in your life are you looking for that God's smarts? Is there decisions that you have to make about your future? Is there decisions that you have to make about your present? 
this week, uh, today, you know, whatever that may be. Are there things that, that you have been, it, it, it's a nagging thing that keeps making you go back and forth and back and forth. And you realize that, listen, I can't keep doing this but I need God's wisdom because you're either going to keep being thrown around by the waves of double-mindedness or you'll break the waves of double-mindedness and choose God's wisdom over your doubts. Now, I'm not saying that we will never doubt, okay? Do you understand? I'm not saying here today, if you doubt, you know, you're less of a, a follower of Christ. That's not what I'm saying because we all have our moments of doubt in the, in the, in the things that are very trivial to the things that are very important in our lives, the very things that cause us the greatest hurt and the greatest pain and the greatest need. And so in your notes, here's what we want to say is that double-mindedness can be avoided. Double-mindedness can be avoided. Okay, what do you mean by that? Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus is reminding us that it's a matter of asking, believing, and not doubting what God can do for you when you open up to him. So when we ask for wisdom, when we don't doubt, are you willing to be vulnerable with your heavenly father? Oh, wait a minute. He already knows. Well, if he already knows, why do I need to open up to him? Because he wants that relationship. He wants that communion with both you and I. And the thing is, is that you and I can begin to let him know about our double-mindedness and he will give you the wisdom that you need if you're willing to confront it. Remember what we talked about last week, how he'll fight our battles for us, but he also, when we doubt, he'll say, hey, if you got this, if you don't think I can do it, then like, go for it. I'm here when you're ready to do it my way. But he will give you that wisdom when you're willing to confront it. James continues in verse 7 by saying that people will resist God's work in their life. It's just true. We will resist the work of God in our lives. And when we begin to resist the work of God in our lives, we are robbed of the confidence that comes with knowing that God is in control. Double-mindedness. That he can't do what he said he'll do. We'll either believe it or we won't. If we are double-minded, we will always fight with the fact that God will never come through. You may have past experiences or that just, as we talked about temperaments, remember a couple of weeks ago, we just may be that, that, if you're familiar with Saturday Night Live, that Debbie Downer, wah, wah, like, no, it'll never go right. God can't do for me what I can do for myself. But what we're seeing here is that God can come through. And he says, you don't have to be tossed around by the waves of the sea. You don't have to be the person who doesn't think God can come through because if if you're not going to if God if you're not going to come through you can't be surprised when God doesn't come through <laughs> why do you come through for me I'm so angry with you you didn't want any, me to be any part of what's going on in your life double-mindedness and in verse 8 he continues James says that a double-minded person is trying to serve God and something else he says that a double-minded person will always have two opinions, while we always have two allegiances. He was even saying that it is like someone who is drunk, staggering all over the place. If you've ever watched any cops or live PD where they do the sobriety field test, you know, it's like, okay, now you're going to do this, right? And they stagger all over the place. I'm fine. I'm good. I can drive. 
That's what he's saying here. A double-minded person is just like that. They could not pass the field sobriety test. And you and I will literally have a civil war in our minds. And we will continue to live insecure, unbalanced, and volatile. Double-mindedness. What do I mean by this double-mindedness? Let me give you some examples. Maybe, and this may be you or this may not be you. Uh, one that says, I want my fears and my anxieties, but I want to be emotionally stable. I want my anger, but I want meaningful relationships. I want a great, healthy marriage, but I want to be selfish. I want my private addictions, but yet I want a growing relationship with God. I want my impulse buying, but I also want my financial stability. Double-mindedness. Are we tracking now? And, and what James is saying is that you always be going back and forth in your mind. And God won't give you the wisdom that you need to confront the very things that he wants you to have victory in. So where has your double-mindedness led you? Have you gone down dark paths? Have you gone down rabbit holes? And not yet go to the one who has the answer for you. Because what double-mindedness will do is that you will think that what you're choosing is right, but you know it's wrong, and vice versa. As a good friend of mine would tell me, he said, if you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another, and vice versa. Double-mindedness. And a double-minded person will be at one moment you believe, and the next moment you won't. Or the practical things, the one moment you're angry, and then the one moment you want that deep, relationship with that person or whatever it may whatever it may be for you and so in your notes the second thing that we see is that double-mindedness creates chaos double-mindedness creates chaos listen to what proverbs 25 28 says it says a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls Double-mindedness will take you out. And I'm, and I'm not talking about where do you want to eat tonight? I don't know where you want to eat. What I'm talking about is these very things that we want to coexist that never will. They're like a magnet. The magnets, when we have them at the, that they retract, and we're trying to force them. You remember that in school? Maybe, I, I remember it. And we had the magnets, and we always tried it, and they would just sit there. And yet that's what we want to do with our relationship with God and the very things that we want to live for that are not of him. And we say, come on, work. I know I can make it work. God's saying, okay, whenever you're ready, we can do it my way. When we allow double-mindedness to take us out, folks, listen, we leave our minds open to the enemy at us at all times. Remember we said he's going to come at you. The more that you choose the things of God, the harder he's going to go at you. If you choose double-mindedness, he's just going to go, okay, there's another one I don't have to worry about. He's going to come at you hard. And we don't have to live like targets. We don't have to live lives of regret. But we can make the decisions in our lives to end double-mindedness, to have a greater impact on our lives and those around us. Isn't that great? I mean, this is great to say, but it's hard to live, isn't it? But here's the thing. This is what I love, that there is hope 
in double-mindedness. Here's what I mean, is that when we look at the life of Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, but before he was betrayed, he was in a garden. And in his humanness, he could have chose double-mindedness. He could have said, it's much easier if I say, I'm not a criminal, I'm not the son of God, I'm just going to go on and go about my day. But I really want to save humanity. But what did he say? Father, if you could take this cup from me, could you take away your wrath against sin and, 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 and not put it upon me? That'd be pretty good. But what did he say? He said, it's not what I want, but it's what you want. There's the hope in double-mindedness. Jesus is our example that we don't have to live this way. But here's the thing. For you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see that this is going to take some work. But can I encourage you this afternoon not to give up so quickly? If you choose to begin to live a life that says, I'm going God's way when it comes to this battle of double-mindedness, don't give up so quickly. Because the truth is, our double-mindedness didn't just begin overnight. It just didn't pop up out of nowhere. And you and I can live with the hope that double-mindedness can be overcome. It's all in our heads, folks. It's in our headspace. And the Lord is telling us today that you and I don't have to live that way. My son, when he rose from the dead, said this can be conquered. Amen? This is where it's at. And see, what, what I want to do when, when we talk about double-mindedness and, and how double-mindedness can be avoided and how double-mindedness can create chaos, I wanted to go to James chapter 4. So turn there with me to James chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 8. It may be familiar to you. But when we look at this verse in James chapter 4, verse 8, I wanted to look at one more verse. And really, this is going to be our how-to of combating double-mindedness. This is uh, James 1 and James 4 are the only two places that speak of double-mindedness. And it's so apropos for us this afternoon. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's a little harsh there, isn't he? He goes a little soft, and then he's like, bam! <laughs> yeah. But let's take a look at this. In, in, your, in your notes, I want to give you this, this first how-to. And it says, if I'm going to shift away from double-mindedness, I need to step towards God. That's the first if I'm going to shift away from double-mindedness, I need to step towards God. James began by saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. For some of us this afternoon, our double-mindedness in our lives has pulled us away from God because we, we realize that we can't marry the two and so we begin to live for something else. But when you and I step towards God, Here's what we have to do. We have to confess and repent to God of our split devotion. God will never refuse anyone who repents and turns to him. Isn't that great? 
That's the hope. That's the grace that is given to us. God, God, in his grace and his goodness and in his kindness, he will draw near to you. And when I think of that passage, that first part of verse 8, I think of the prodigal son. I think of when that son was coming home and the father was waiting on the porch and he sees his son, knowing that in that culture that an elder of a home never ran, it was a sign of shame. And he ran to his son. He said, we're having a party. We're going to dress him back up. And he is once was lost. He is now found. That's what God does for you and I at the point of salvation. But he does it also as a believer at the point of repentance. He won't refuse us. He won't turn us away. But he will draw near to you. So if you're going to shift, you have to step towards God. And the second is this, is that if I'm going to shift away from double-mindedness, I need to think single-minded. That's pretty easy, Jeff. Well, just work with me, you know. Some of this stuff is above my pay grade. But we want to think double-minded. James goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The double-mindedness in your life won't go away just because you asked it to. It's just not going to happen. But here's what we can know. When you begin to think single-minded, i.e. God's way with God's wisdom, you will begin to choose God's thought processes over your own. Remember, we've said this before. You begin to choose God as your first priority rather than your last resort. It's like taking a fire hose and spraying the double-mindedness out of your headspace. I remember when I had to do that with my ears. I have huge issues with my ears. And they had to go in there and they had to spray the water and they had to do all the other gross stuff. But the moment that one piece came out, I heard, and I heard the air. And I was like, yes, no more pain, no more of this. I can't hear anything. That's what it's saying. That you got to take that hose and you spray that double-mindedness out of your headspace. Because every single one of us this afternoon, we can have the best laid plans. We can have God cheering us on to move forward. But if we, if we refuse to change the way that we think, it's pointless. It has to begin here, to here, then to here. There's no other way. And yet, our Heavenly Father has given us the roadmap to do that. Isn't it great? He just doesn't say, good luck. But he's given us his son, and his Holy Spirit and his word. He's given us his church. He's given us one another so that we can do this. You know, you've been hearing me over the last couple of weeks talking about overcoming and victory. But I want you to understand that that is a truth. There can be victory over double-mindedness. There can be victory when we begin to think differently. So how hopeful are you feeling when it comes to your double-mindedness? If you said on a scale of one to five, one being, whoa, I'm in deep trouble, to five being, I got this, where would you say you are? Where would you begin to think, okay, like there really is hope, not because someone on a Sunday afternoon said it, but because I know it in my heart. How hopeful are you 
when it comes to getting rid of double-mindedness. Because if there's anything that I've learned throughout studying for this series, and hopefully that you begin to take away, that, that double-mindedness, and we, when we allow our stinking thinking to win out, it will affect every area of our lives. What it really boils down to this afternoon, as we've looked at this text here in James, is asking yourself the question, what do you really want? What do you really want? Jesus asked people that in the Gospels. Do you want to get well? Do you remember that? Or when the rich young ruler came to him, he says, well, here's what you got to do. What do you really want? Do you want me? Or do you want something else? What do you really want when it comes to double-mindedness? Because we cannot fix what we do not confront. And when I say we can't fix, I mean with the help of God. We can't fix what we can't and don't and are willingly refusing to confront. I want to I close with verses 9 and 10 of James chapter 4. So go there with me. James finishes, not finishes, but in verse 9 and 10, he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Have, in other words, have the mindset of a sinner in need of a Savior. He not only says that, he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Have such a, a sacred sorrow for your double-mindedness. And he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We're going to be talking about this in in the next several weeks because in the next two weeks, we're going to be taking two weeks and talking about our family tree, our, our family of origin. But then after that, we're going to be talking about how grief, godly grief brings repentance. This is what James is telling us. He says, listen, this isn't a party here. Double-mindedness, the war for your mind is at stake. And he says, mourn and weep, laughter to mourning, joy to gloom. But the hope here is in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Surrender your way to him. Get the pride out of your way, thinking that you can have these things coexist in your mind. And he's saying, quit it, humble Surrender, give up in a healthy way. Let the Lord take rule in your mind and in your heart and in your life. And he says what? And he will lift you up. We want to be lifted up before we ever want to be humble. And yet James is telling us here, you got to have a change of perspective. It has to change here and here. Why? It'll never change here in our tangible lives. And so for you and I, we have to think about areas of double-mindedness in our lives. We have to, we don't have to, but I implore you to really consider this today, to make the decision, to make the shift in your mind. But here's where it begins. It begins by saying, God, I'm in need of your help. And I need to show, I need you to show me what I need to destroy. So if we're going to make this shift, folks, 
It begins by walking and taking that next step towards your heavenly father because he will draw near to you. And and it means that I got to I got to do some some cleaning up in my head. I got to scrub some double mindedness out of my thinking. He will not leave you on your own to do this. He will not leave you on your own. Father, this afternoon, as uh, I, again, taking time over the last couple of weeks, you've shown me that.